Good morning, everyone, and a very warm-ish welcome to Worship at Hillhead. We have turned the heating on. Hopefully, it'll kick in, but apologies if everyone's feeling a bit cold. Um, our service this morning is led by Katrina, and we will also hear Janet reading scripture, Grace leading the Lord's Prayer, Ian Birch will lead our prayers for others, and shortly, Nikyar will be lighting our candle. Our musicians today are Paul and Yang Yang. A quick reminder, there are no Sunday evening reflections during December, but we do have a weekday evening during Ad... Oh, sorry. Put my teeth in, I'll try that again. Each weekday evening during Advent, there is a 15-minute reflection on Zoom at 9pm with a poem, a picture and a prayer. If you need the link, please contact Katrina G and she'll send it across. Um, for people who are on site today, there, you'll have spotted there are some flyers for the carols at Curlers. Um, for people who are on Zoom, the information is in your email, so have a look at that if you're interested. And we have a call for volunteers. Our nativity is looking a bit thin on the ground this year, and Bethany is desperate for some people in the congregation to be part of our nativity. Um, so if anyone is willing to do a little bit of uh, play pretend, then please email Bethany as soon as you can so that she can get some get everything sorted and ready for the couple weeks. Uh, next Sunday morning, our worship will be led by Katrina. And now it's time for Nikyar to light our second Advent candle. As we continue our Advent journey this year, we ask God to give us the courage to love. Your love, O oh Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. You keep safe people and animals. How precious is your never-ending love. We find safety under the shadow of our wings. Oh, 
now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. God, who is goodness, truth and beauty. As we sing these familiar words, help us to grasp the truths they contain. In this season of long, dark nights, we thank you for the safety and security of somewhere we can call home. For cosy jumpers, fluffy socks and warm winter coats. For steaming bowls of soup and velvety hot chocolate, maybe even topped with marshmallows. For the twinkling of fairy lights and the anticipation of Christmas. In this season of climate chaos and political instability, we thank you for those who seek to understand complex, interconnected issues. For scientists and researchers who work diligently. For protesters and activists who speak truth to power. And for the opportunities we have to make choices that are planet-preserving and life-giving. In this season of waiting and wondering, we thank you that we do not experience the challenges alone, that you are with us in every moment of every day, that in Christ you have redeemed and are redeeming all things, that you love us and all creation with a never-ending and inexhaustible love. God, who is love, expressed in beauty, truth and goodness, we offer our praises and our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Be true and humble, live 
comfort, comfort now my people, speak of peace, so says your God. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with and maybe even have read the book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves, in which he explores four different kinds or maybe more accurately four different aspects of love that are referred to within the scriptures. I'm just going to remind you of those now and remind myself as well. So there is eros love, the word from which we derive the English word erotic, romantic love, the kind that is experienced between people who are physically attracted to one another. It's an exclusive kind of love that finds its best expression in the context of faithful, stable relationships, sometimes called troth relationships, and in our culture, our culture still, usually that is expressed within marriage. Then there's a kind of love or an aspect of love, storge, a word that means family or kindred love. It's the kind of love that develops naturally between parents and children or between brothers and sisters. Often unconscious or at least subconscious and sometimes not even named or spoken of, it's a kind of love that's just there. It's exclusive insofar as it tends to exist within a family but it is at its best perhaps along the lines of empathy, a shared understanding, an ability to put oneself in the place of another and to consider other people's needs as well as our own. There is closeness, there is sharing. This is the kind of love that enables children and young people to learn how to live full and healthy lives. Then there is phileo, friendship love. It's intrinsically open and inclusive. C.S. Lewis would say that the Eros lovers are face to face. They just have eyes for each other. They're not interested in anybody else. No one else is allowed in. But friendship love is side by side. It says, oh, you think like that. You come and join us. It's a very open, welcoming, inclusive kind of love. And whilst it's true that Eros love could begin as filio love and will it ex and hopefully retain some of that within and within the exclusive relationship the phileo love is valid in its own right friendships can be stable and faithful but they're not usually bound by any kind of troth relationship and then there is agape love the fourth kind often referred to as divine love or godly love and that is the most inclusive and sacrificial form of love it's universal in its reach it's indestructible in its nature. It's not based on physical attraction. It's not based on kinship. It's not even based on friendship. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. All you can do is receive it and enjoy it. We as followers of Jesus may aspire to love in this way. To love as God loves. And that's partly, I think, what it is when we talk about hospitality, which is the focus of our thinking today, beginning to love as God loves. God is love. Scriptures tell us that. And all aspects, all kinds of love have their origin in God, whether it's romantic love, whether it's family love, friendship love or spiritual love. 
It's this that Jesus calls his followers to think on as they follow his commandment, to love one another as he has loved us. So let's sing together. This reading is from Romans 12, 9 to 18. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one, uh, one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all.
So if you remember, my Advent series this week, this year is Ho, Ho, Ho. Okay, not very funny. <laughs> Last week, we looked at the first of the hoes, which was hope. Well, remembered, yep. So last week, you thought about hope. Noting that Christian or biblical hope is active, that those who follow Jesus have a part to play in the inbreaking of Christ's rule of justice and peace. As the theologians we looked at last week noted, hope and ethics are interrelated. Today, we're going to be thinking about another aspect of our lives and how we live out our hope, and that is using two words, really. Home, because it begins with a ho sound, but more particularly hospitality, which begins with H-O, but it's not hospitality, is it? So we're going to think about those. And I want to suggest that hospitality is not just about inviting people into our own homes, although that is often a good place to start. But if I was to ask you, and you're allowed to speak to me at this point, how would you define the word hospitality? If you're on, online and you want to unmute and, and, and offer an answer, that, that's great. How would you define the word hospitality? Okay, it's going to be that kind of a morning, is it? That's fine. Well, let me offer you four suggestions that I found when I was doing my research this week. Um, yes, you can see that, I think. You might have to move your people off. Thank you, Katrina. And I've got to, something mis it's misbehaving here, but never mind, that's fine. So hospitality is when someone feels at home in your presence. So hospitality is a way of feeling hospitality isn't about your house it's about your heart people will forget what you said they will forget what you did but they'll never forget how you made them feel hospitality is simply an opportunity to show love and care Wonder what you make of any of those. Do any of those resonate with you? For me, what stands out is that hospitality is an attitude. It's a way of being. It doesn't say anything about gourmet food or spotlessly clean houses, nothing of hours of preparation at vast expense. If anything, it's the opposite. It's the ability to enable other people to feel comfortable enough to be who they really are. I wonder if, like me, you've been invited to somebody's home and felt you had to sit on the edge of the chair and you couldn't quite go and use the loo because you might disturb something and you're worried about, did you have the right fork and the right... That's not what hospitality is about. Hospitality is when we can just be ourselves. It's the, the kind of joke comes in. It's, yeah, you can shout at the kids and you can kick the dog. I'd rather you didn't kick the dog or the cat. But hospitality is a, enabling us to be who we really are. I think maybe hospitality says, come into my messy house. Come and share a bowl of soup or a cup of tea and tell me how life really is you 
But I also think it goes a lot further than that. There are lots of references to hospitality in the New Testament, including that passage that was just read for us from the letter to Romans. And it may come as no surprise to you, because you know I quite looking at, like, like looking up Greek words. So I discovered there are two words in the Koine Greek that are translated as hospitality. The first of these words is xenodokia, and that literally translates as welcoming the stranger. Or more precisely, welcoming a person who is completely different from yourself. Because the word xenos doesn't mean just somebody you haven't met yet or somebody who's different from you. Sorry, sorry, it doesn't mean someone you haven't met yet. It means somebody who is completely different from you. It could be somebody of a different social class, a different nationality, somebody who has different values and different opinions. The xenos, the stranger, is somebody who wouldn't be the most obvious person for you to make friends with. That's one of the words that's used for hospitality in the Bible. But it was a second word that literally stopped me in my tracks. And the word is philozenia. Literally, it means friend to the stranger or love of a stranger. And here again, a stranger isn't just somebody you haven't met yet. It's somebody who is totally different from you. To use the kind of language we would use nowadays, it's a person who you might label as the other. If, and I think this is a reasonable assertion, philoxenia is the diametric opposite of xenophobia, a word we're much more familiar with, then who is it that we might be called to love, to befriend, or to extend a welcome to? How might unconscious racism or unconscious anything else-ism, any other othering that we perhaps aren't aware of, be transformed into welcome and hospitality? How might deliberate othering be changed into hospitality? If we understand hospitality this way, It is an attitude of mind and an ethic of living. And that's what we heard expressed for us in that reading from the letter to the Roman church. People who were called to build genuine, deep and costly relations with people who were strangers. People who thought totally different from them. Maybe believed slightly differently or completely differently from them. Maybe had different values. I came across a paragraph which I'm going to share with you online by a theologian called David Gushy, and he puts it far more eloquently than I possibly could. He says this, This is the biblical meaning of hospitality, making room for the stranger, especially those in acute need, most acute need. Such care must not be reduced to mere social entertaining, nor may be it self-interested and reciprocal. In other words, you don't invite people to get invited back. Instead, biblical hospitality reaches out to the abject and lonely and expects nothing in return. 
Hospitality is not optional, nor should it be understood as a rare spiritual gift. Instead, it is a normal, sorry, a normative biblical practice that is learned by doing it. I think what he's saying there is we aren't going to get it right all the time, and we probably won't get it right the first time, or the second time, or the third time, but we keep on trying. We keep welcoming those who are stranger, strange to us. We keep trying to be hospitable. We practice hospitality, not as rehearsing it, but as doing it. If Advent is a time of active waiting, and if hope is an ethical decision to hold in creative tension the now and not yet of God's promises, then hospitality recognises the universal reach of God's love and says to those who may be very different from us, welcome, make yourself at home as we wait for the Lord. This reading is from Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. <laughs>
for as long as I can remember, and that is the greater part of 60 years now, this story has always been told in the same way. Mary and Joseph arrive at Bethlehem late in the evening and they're looking for somewhere to stay for the night. The trouble is that all the inns are full and the hapless couple trudge from door to door to be told over and over again, no room, go away. Eventually, and usually grudgingly, the last of the innkeepers, quantity determined by the number of children who have to have a speaking part, recalls that the stable is empty and offers it to the couple who, with nothing, no other options left, gratefully accept. On the stroke of midnight, Mary gives birth, wraps up the baby, places him in freshly bought hay, places him in a manger to wait for the arrival of the shepherds and the magi. Now, I totally get why we tell that story the way we do. And I totally get how the transformation of this Scrooge-like innkeeper can give us a warm feeling as it talks about somebody changing from being mean to being kind. But if that's true, then this isn't a story about hospitality. And I don't think that makes sense. Ever since the King James translation of the Bible was published, Mary and Joseph have arrived at an inn. The trouble is that is probably not what the Greek actually says, since the word used, kataluo, actually means a guest room, suggesting that far from a hotel, this was a family house. And in fact, if you look at some of the newer translations, and this is one where the NIV is particularly good, the latest translation of the NIV says there was no room for them in the guest room. The same word, guest room, kataluo, is used in Luke 22 and in Mark 14 to describe the room that Jesus used for the Last Supper. So maybe it's quite important to actually recognise this is a guest room each time. Interestingly, though, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which also makes reference to an inn, uses a different word, and I'm not going to go and often explore that. But Mary and Joseph arrived at a house where the guest room is already full. But rather than turning them away, the housekeeper thinks creatively, what, what can I do? How can I be generous to this couple who've arrived? and I, My house is already full and bursting at the seams. Now, whether Mary and Joseph lodge in the downstairs part of the house, which would be where the animals would be housed in the winter, and this probably wasn't winter, otherwise the animals would have been there, or whether the feed trough was carried into the main part of the house where the family stayed, I guess it doesn't matter. But this is an act of generosity. This is hospitality saying, I can't do what I'd love to do, but I can do this. Strangers arrive. I've got nothing else I can do, but I will do my best for you. I'll put you up on the settee, if you like, if somebody came to our house. I'll put two chairs together to make a place where your baby can sleep. And I can remember doing that as a very small person. But there's also a really profound mystery here. Because God accepts this shabby hospitality 
from an unnamed housekeeper who is already at their wit's end rushing around trying to look after their guests. God becomes powerless and vulnerable and utterly dependent on the kindness of strangers. And being put down to sleep in a food trough is good enough for God. On the Baptist Union of Great Britain website, there is an article about hospitality. And this also had something that I thought was worth noting. It says, hospitality is also about being the guest. That's what God does in this story, in a space where others are the host. This requires us to put power down, to move ourselves out from the centre of everything and be dependent on others. It involves risk and it requires significantly more vulnerability on our part. But then this follows the pattern of the incarnation. This is exactly what God does, comes and accepts the hospitality of others at great risk. Hospitality at its best is always a two-way experience for the host and the guest. I wonder how the people in that house felt having Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus in their house, especially when the shepherds showed up. Probably not the wise men because they came some time later. This is what the nativity story tells us, you see. If God in Christ is willing to accept flawed human hospitality, then that must have something to say to us as we try to follow Jesus. Are we willing to be the recipients of hospitality? Will we accept love from those who are very different from us? Will we accept the love that God offers to us in Jesus Christ? As we ponder that, let's sing again. Yeah.
So we don't have E and B. Uh, so I think I'm going to have to lead the prayers. It's actually 25 years this weekend since I felt God call me to ordained ministry. Uh, Wednesday, I think, is the exact anniversary to the date. But 25 years ago, uh, God said to me through the letter to Timothy, you preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. I guess 25 years are on from that. If I can't pray off the cuff, something has gone very wrong. Let's keep our eyes open as we begin to pray for each other and for others. And let's just look around in the room if we're here and across the screens. See who is here. See who we realise isn't with us today for all sorts of reasons. I know some are away attending an ordination service. Some are unwell. Some are working. Some are helping friends and neighbours. Loving God, we thank you for each other. We thank you for these siblings in Christ. Some who are very like us and some who are not so like us. We thank you for the welcome that we have each received within this community of faith, whether we've been here a long time or a short time. We thank you for the stories we have shared, for the joys we've shared, and yes, for the struggles and sorrows that we have shared. For all this is part of hospitality, all this is part of love and friendship. I'd like to invite you to have a look, if you're on screen, at whoever's next to you, if you're in the room, somebody, not necessarily family, but somebody sitting near to you. Just take a moment to bring that person to God in prayer. Thank you, God, that you give us that gift of praying for one another. We thank you for the Baptist Union of Scotland and all that that brings to us by connecting us with other believers in Jesus across this nation. Whilst we don't have the list of names in front of us, they are known to you. We pray for each congregation as it makes its own journey through Advent this year, that they will be places of welcome and acceptance. We think of the work of BMS World Mission and today of our own link missionary, Joy, in Nepal. We thank you for all that she has done in educating educators. And as she comes towards the end of her life of active service there, we pray for a successful handover of gifts and skills and responsibilities. That her farewelling to these people who have become her friends will be a blessing, however bittersweet. And that as she returns to the UK next year, she will settle and find true welcome herself. And in the world as a whole, Lord, there is so much to trouble us. Sickness, war and violence, poverty, injustice, hatred towards those who are different and suspicion of those 
we may not yet know. Yet you, in vulnerability, enter our creation and live as one of us and call us to love as you love. So as we continue our journey through Advent, show us the small steps we can take to show your hospitality. In the name of Christ. Amen. So whose table is it around which we gather? Who is the host and who are the guests? We tell ourselves it's the Lord's table, the table at which Jesus is the host, even if he's unseen. And yet it is us who makes the preparations, spread the cloth, cut the bread and fill the glasses with juice. Perhaps it is both at the same time. We are Jesus' guests and each other's hosts. We welcome others and find ourselves welcomed. As the songwriter expresses it, strangers become friends. Those who might never otherwise sit down together become companions, sharers of bread, as we anticipate God's promised banquet to which all are invited without fear or fever. So let's hear again the old familiar story of the day that Jesus and his friends found welcome in a carefully prepared guest room. And I'm reading the account from Luke's Gospel. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb has to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. They asked him, where do you want us to make the preparations? Listen, he said, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. 
Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations there. So they went and found everything as he'd told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks said, Take it and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is poured out for you, and it is a new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Holy, hospitable and hopeful God, we thank you for the stories of Jesus and all they mean to us. We thank you for the way you welcome us just as we are and wherever we are. And that by your spirit, you connect us into one community, the body of Christ, sharing together. As we eat and drink, and as we remember, help us to be grateful for all your gifts to us. Amen. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said to his followers, whenever you eat bread, remember me. So let us eat in remembrance and in gratitude. And after the meal, Jesus took the cup of wine and said, this is the covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink wine, remember me. So let us drink together a sign and symbol of that covenant. Christ has called us to a hopeful journey of faith. Christ has welcomed us to the hospitality of God's household. Christ now sends us to be bearers of God news, good news to all people and all creation. Amen.
enjoy the generous hospitality of God. Go from here inspired, encouraged and empowered to love our neighbours, welcome those we call strangers and walk closely with the Christ who calls us friends. Amen. <laughs>